Welcome to Fathering Excellence, where fathers of accomplished people share their parenting insights. This episode, I am excited to be talking with Stefan Hecox, father of YouTuber and actor Ian Hecox. Ian, along with his friend Anthony, were the co-founders of the sketch comedy YouTube channel Smosh. Smosh is among the most successful channels in the history of YouTube. It launched less than a year after YouTube started, and it grew into a brand with associated channels including Smosh Pit, Smosh Games, and Smosh Cast. Collectively, the Smosh brand has accumulated over 24 million subscribers and over 8 billion views. Ian's father, Stefan, is a terrific guy. In this episode, Stefan and I cover a lot of ground, including the value of reading to your kids, instilling a value of integrity in your children, and how Stefan guided Ian during his first negotiation for a corporate sponsorship opportunity. Before we get started, if you hear anything in this episode or others that you found helpful, we would greatly appreciate it if you could take just a moment to provide a rating and a review. It is easy to do on the Apple Podcast app. Just search for Fathering Excellence, then click on the thumbnail image for the podcast to get to the main page. Scroll down until you get to the star rating, select a rating, then scroll a bit further and you'll see where you can click to leave a review. Thank you for any help with this, and enjoy this episode with Stefan Hecox. I'm Jonathan V, and this is the Fathering Excellence Podcast. Stefan, thank you so much for finding time for this conversation. I have really been looking forward to it. Your son, Ian, is just remarkable what he's done with Smosh, with his friend, Anthony, going from what I believe was making videos for MySpace after high school to having one of the most subscribed channels on YouTube. So I'm curious, from your perspective, was there an inflection point along the way where it seemed like it went from this being a hobby to something that... Ian could really have success at. Yeah, I, 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 there were probably a bunch of them, but uh-huh. um, but him and Anthony actually started playing in the space, uh, and the space maybe didn't really exist when they started playing in it, but while they were in high school, so they um, they created a website, and um, the website was aimed at other high schoolers, uh-huh. and it started circulating among a few schools. So they, they were tinkering already, but probably the the time where I realized that, wow, you know, they really have reached out to people was when Fortune 500 companies like Logitech approached them and said, we want you to make some content for us. We want you to, you know, preview one of our, you know, mouses or something. Uh-huh. Wow. We'll, we'll give you 100% editorial control and we want you to make a video of it. At that point, I realized they must have hit enough eyes. But yeah, there's been these constant, what I keep calling another 15 minutes of fame things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really think they saw where it was going to go. When they had the website, they actually taught themselves how to make video games and they had some huh. rudimentary video games. And then they did some parodies and you know, the one in particular was a Pokemon parody. And yes. That's the one that really put them kind of on the map, so to speak. Tens of millions of views. And and honestly, YouTube was in its infancy at that point. Um, but I think it was the most viewed 
video for six months or something. Like That's that. incredible. And, you know, I'd like to say that we knew what he was doing 100% of the time, but <laughs> we, we didn't necessarily. <laughs> um, a lot of the stuff they did was at Anthony's home, which was in the same neighborhood. But, you know, we had set some parameters for them and expected them to um, to adhere to those parameters. And if we saw or heard differently, then we would talk to them. So I'll make a point to circle back to that because I, I have more questions on that topic. Uh, first, stepping back, could you describe what the home life was like when Ian was young? You know, behind every father is a really good mother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was fortunate that Sharon, my wife, and Ian's mother and his sister's mom decided to stay at home after his sister was born. His sister's a couple years older. I had a career that was starting out in public accounting. Um, I'd been in public accounting for a few years, and so it was starting to get better. And so we could make it work. It was a struggle, but we could make it work. And so it was excellent because we, we had some idea of what he was being exposed to on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And Sharon is just the most even keel person I know. So it was actually a really normal, I think, normal household. Ian, and very early on, he showed some flash. He started reading very early. I would come home and he would try to tell me everything he learned about dinosaurs and the National Geographic and, you know, and things like that at a very young age. So at first I was a little worried, <laughs> you know, that I might have a child that needs some uh, special attention. And it right. didn't, really turn out, didn't really turn out that way. But I think what's true is... Um, he's able to concentrate on things. And I think we, I or we probably saw that as a little bit of an annoyance <laughs> because, because it was kind of a little AD, ADD type tendencies where uh -huh. he'd be so focused on something, he wouldn't be focused on, you know, something else that maybe we wanted him to focus on. If, if he was trying to build something or, or trying to read something or, you know, even if it was working on homework, he, he, he it's almost like he could tune out what, what was going on around him. And he, and he really, honestly, he was, he was an easy kid. He really wasn't difficult. And, and do you have uh, other kids? So um, one daughter, two, two years older. So, you know, we, we, we tried things out on her. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, like most young parents, we we were making it up as we were going. Yeah. So, um, so, so yeah, I mean, it was the, the age difference was perfect and, you know, they were very close and, and still are. And I, and I think she kind of, you know, helped nurture them a little bit. So did your daughter have a similar type of focus as Ian did? No. Um, something I learned as a parent, you know, you'd think that nature had more to do it, do with it. Um, you know, you raise your children the same, you, you raise them, you know, you give them the same opportunities, you uh, give them the same rules, and they're different from almost day one. And so Megan's personality was different, uh, much more shy. Ian's much more outgoing, probably, you know, more thoughtful, <laughs> but very different personalities. But they, they were close. They, they were very close and I think still are very close. That's great. In our household, there wasn't a lot of screaming or yelling. Our thought was, you know, we're going to tell you what the expectations are and we're going to you know, make sure they're reasonable and then we're going to expect you to follow them. And if you, you know, 
don't follow the expectations and there's consequences and and we're not going to do the I told you this three times thing. <laughs> right. So right. they were similar in that they were pretty compliant to be quite honest. And I don't think it was uh, not really a stern household. We just had expectations and we we kind of expected them to meet those expectations and they did. It's easy when you're young and, and even when you're our age, it's easy for the world to revolve around you and and maybe not be as good a listener. And so, you know, we tried to get them to, you know, listen first, then ask questions or, you know, make sure everybody gets an opportunity to speak. Um, you know, that was kind of a time when, you know, when we were kids, you, you didn't call adults by their first names. Right. By the time they came around, it was much more common. So we might introduce them to Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so, and they'd say, oh, well, no, call me Judy. <laughs> mm. So it was a little bit of an awkward time, but politeness, I guess, is the way I'd put it. Yeah, yeah. How did you approach that, uh, cultivating politeness in your kids? We tried to make it about kind of a team effort. So we tried to instill in them that they were competing with themselves and not against other people. Uh-huh. So therefore, when they were in group situations, it would hopefully be more of a team environment. That might not actually get somebody to be the very best of, at something, but we we tried to get them to, to compete with themselves and not compete against other people so that when they were around other people, it'd be more of a team environment and, you know, maybe a little less clickish, even though it's pretty hard to avoid that. And then I think we saw that play out. I mean, they had groups of friends. They were involved in uh, mostly Ian, not as much Megan. They were involved in uh, recreational sports and, and they were, you know, good teammates. They, people liked them. They got along. They were easy to manage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so I, I think that's probably where I saw it play out more, you know, in their in their interpersonal relationships. And we just tried to create that environment. I'm kind of a work hard, play hard type of person. And so I, I, I admittedly, in a sense, raised them that way where, you know, I, I did work long hours as a CPA, but I always tried to be there for dinner. I made sure I was able to coach soccer uh-huh. um, and I was there on weekends but when I was there, I was 100% in. The outdoors was big to me, I, and and it's proven. You know, they're both they both really enjoy the outdoors. That my goal with the outdoors and Sharon was of the same mindset was for them to just understand that the world's a lot bigger than them. And you know, it's you know, some of us don't move out of our neighborhood. You know, we live right. in a neighborhood. That's true. And we might we may not travel much. And, you know, the world's a heck of a lot bigger. And I got to admit, Ian, you know, he obviously took that to heart because him and Anthony had the foresight to see, and maybe I just wasn't with it enough, but they had the foresight to see that they could reach not only people around them, they could reach people across the world. So circling back to some of the expectations that you had for your kids Sounds like they they were they were pretty easy to manage kids overall. I've I've not yet met a parent with uh, perfect angels. Uh, right. When when there were times that you needed to to discipline or implement some consequences, what were some of the things that you would do? And when they were young, they might have been spanked a couple times, but not much. We weren't really big on spanking. What we were really big on was timeout. Um, and even as they got a little older, if if there was something that you know, wasn't done or they were 
rude um, or they were upset. You know, I mean, we all get upset, right? If they, if they just were not in the proper frame of mind, we would have them, you know, take themselves away. Uh-huh. whether it be uh, a different room or their own room. So we were kind of big on, you know, you need to go get some peace and quiet. And when you're ready to rejoin, then, then rejoin. Yeah, I mean, there was activities they may have been denied from time to time because of something that didn't get accomplished. Was there anything particularly important to you, uh, a value or habit, something that if if transgressed, so to speak, might be more likely to result in disciplinary action? The big thing for me and for both of us was integrity. Uh I mean, I just drilled that into them. I still drilled it into them. Um, And so they knew that I would be most upset if they lied about something or if they weren't truthful, you know, if they were withholding the truth. And so we tried to make it so that, you know, if they screwed up, they could talk to us about it. You know, I always thought it was kind of interesting is, uh, and I'll use Ian because that's who we're talking about. Um, so when Ian was, you know, in our mind, old enough to go sleep over somewhere, to go stay at somebody's home. And I, I don't remember exactly when that was, might have been eight, nine or ten. You know, he would spend the night down the street with, with somebody, friends. And then the next day they would say, oh, my God gosh, he is so polite. And, and, you know, he wanted to keep helping out, you know, with the dishes and this and that. I'm thinking like, are you talking about my kid? <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. So, you know, I think these lessons you, you try to impart probably have more impact than you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That must be rewarding. Yeah. Well, it's nice to, as opposed to don't ever send them back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so thankfully we didn't, thankfully we didn't have any of those. Um, you know, Ian grew up with some, was with, with a few families that we were close to and are still close to that we still do activities with. And, you know, sometimes those kids were out of control and, um, you know, they just had a different way of dealing with things and a different way of compliance. And, you know, so they, I think they got the seal of all that. I think maybe they decided, you know, things weren't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> How about uh, just uh, other uh, environmental things? Did you guys have TV, video games? Did you have, did they have kind of free reign to those and access? Were there limitations? So, you know, I would say all of the kids needs were satisfied, not all of their wants. Uh Um, So, you know, we didn't, we had a basic TV, we had a basic stereo system. They never had their own cell phone until they were, you know, much older, you know, until they were really young adults. And it wasn't as common then. Um, uh, Now it seems like, you know, six-year-olds have cell phones. Yeah. Um, So with the computer, we didn't use a lot of, and, and there were less of them then, but we didn't use a lot of um, monitoring systems or privacy systems. We we told them what, you know, what we thought was appropriate for them, and then we trusted them. And that doesn't mean, you know, trust, you have to verify once in a while. Right. <laughs> but we, I, I, I think with all things, we always tried to do that. If we, if we, told them what we expected of them. And we didn't expect outrageous things. If we told them what we expected of them, then we trusted them to do them. Most of the time it happened. And we knew what they were up to most of the time. (laughs) 
you know, we didn't just let them run amok, but we weren't over their shoulder all the time. And and the whole YouTube thing and Ian Smoshning is that you know that's kind of how that started. We didn't know a lot about what was going on, and then we'd ask and we'd learn a little more. Then we'd go go check it out ourselves. So I, I think the biggest thing was we we just. I think had reasonable expectations. We told them what those expectations were, and then we trusted them to do it. Uh-huh. My kids didn't, even though I thought think they had appropriate freedom. They didn't have the kind of freedom I had. I mean, I was, you know, we were we were a little too loose and footloose, and um, it turned out okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we just expected. We told them what we thought the right thing was. We told them we expected them to do the right thing, and then we. We tried to give them the space to do it, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like when it came to lying in particular, that if your kids disclosed something that may have been, you know, telling you about something bad they did or something bad that happened, that you might have been pretty forgiving of that situation if they were forthcoming. But if you had yes. to find out without them disclosing it to you, or if they lied about it explicitly, then the consequences may have been very significant so that they would realize, hey, I'm, I'm better off just coming clean than risking lying or him finding out. Absolutely. If, you know, if they were to confide in us, then, you know, there wasn't necessarily punishment. There was a discussion about, you know, how it could have been done differently or, or whether it should have happened at all. Um, and whether there was somebody they needed to go talk to, somebody they needed to make amends to. So, yeah, and there were times, obviously, where we found out about things that they had not been forthright about. And, yeah, the, the, the punishment was more severe. Was reading uh, particularly important in your household? From when they were literally infants, we read to them constantly. Um, we surrounded them with books, and we weren't necessarily—I mean, they were age-appropriate books, but we, we didn't have—we weren't trying to— uh, indoctrinate them into something we just wanted them to be around uh stories and and just be around print and sharon my wife she reads incessantly i I mean she reads far more than i'll ever read i read a lot for work so i don't do as much pleasure reading but we always i mean that was a huge part of the day you know whether it's you know there were you know especially in the evening time that was a big deal so we always read stories to them and like all parents you, you you know when they're young you get you know you're reading the same stories over and over um but they then they were then interested in reading megan's a little less interested in reading than ian is but i i hope i believe that you know constantly reading to them reading with them having them read I believe it had some impact and, you know, it, Ian turns out to be kind of a storyteller. Um, you know, he, yeah. he, he does a lot of writing for some of the sketch stuff they do. And so, you know, I, I didn't at the time didn't have it in mind that that would be the purpose. It's just, you know, with books, you can go places. So there were some telling things about Ian. His first job, he was the rat at Chuck E. Cheese. He was, I'm sorry. He was the what? He was the rat. Oh, the rat. Okay. Yeah, he was the kid in the rat costume. He was Chucky. Yeah. And, you know, of course, I I didn't have anything like that when I was young. I, you know, did the more typical stuff, gas station, et cetera. But, um, but yeah, that probably should have been a telling thing, but we weren't, we didn't really see, you know, we didn't think that had something to do with his um, 
discomfort around other people or acting goofy around other people or being in front of an audience or a camera. Um, so, you know, there's these things you just sometimes don't really see. What, what are some of the other experiences that you think may have had an impact? I think that w- we had, a, you know, a large circle of friends. So, and a lot of those circles revolved around doing something, sports mostly, some, one sport or another, and or hiking has always been a big thing, um, backpacking, et cetera. And so it's that situation where you're not just sitting at a TV watching something. You're, you have to do something. You have to plan it. You have to organize it. You have to be with people. And there's some element of, uh, you know, something could go wrong. You know, if you hike 15 miles in, you know, you're you're on your own. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so I think a lot of those things, you know, are part of that makeup. Um, I've always been interested in small businesses. So and that's, you know, end up being a lot of what I do. So um, so I would try to tell them about small businesses, how a particular business works. And I never really thought of it as being, you know, something that was instructive necessarily from a future standpoint. I just thought it, it, it just helped broaden their horizon a little. And it turns out, you know, Ian has some of that entrepreneurial streak, you know, for him to, to push out on these things. And that's not everybody, you know, other people might be more comfortable just being a support person. So I, you know, I, I think all these things had, had some impact. You mentioned that Ian had this uh, job at Chuck E. Cheese. Were there times before that where you started to see his his creativity, his humor, his, his writing, the, the precursors to his future endeavors in YouTube? Well, he was always, um, and I probably didn't really see it for what it was at the time. He, he was always comfortable I'm going to call it being the class, class clown. Um, he, he really wasn't. You know, he didn't really act in that manner. And and at school, I think he was somewhat in the background. But he was always comfortable being part of the conversation. Mm. He was always comfortable speaking his mind without, you know, uh, he could talk to adults. And, and not all children could do that. You no, know, he true. was comfortable. He was comfortable interacting, whereas, you know, his sister, who's I love her dearly, you know, not as comfortable. And so, you know, that probably was a little foretelling. And then, <laughs> and I can't remember how many times this happened, but the entrepreneurial thing, the one, the one I can remember somewhat specifically is, um, and I just thought it was the funniest thing. His sister at one point was into these bracelets and stuff. And I, I, you know, I don't really remember what the bracelets were, but there were bracelets that you made out of different materials. So Ian cobbled together a whole bunch of her materials, her materials, made the bracelets and then sold them to her. (laughs) (laughs) And she freely bought them. (laughs) And I just thought that I said, wait a second, you can't take her stuff and then charge her for it. I just thought that was the funniest thing. That is great. <laughs> so maybe that was his early entrepreneurial streak. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrific. Um, but, you know, we didn't have like the whole call it video thing, camera thing. We didn't, we didn't, you know, I hate to say it. I don't really have home movies from when the kids were growing up because we didn't have that type of equipment around. Mm-hmm. Um 
so one thing I really regret is not having a video camera. Even then, it would have been a format that doesn't even exist anymore. And so it's not like Ian grew up around cameras, so to speak. He wasn't around it. So I don't really know. You know, I think the video thing kind of just developed along the way. You know, it's the website, and then it's creating something, and then it's doing something goofy, and then it just kept snowballing. Anthony was a big part of that. I mean, I, I you know, it was definitely Ian and Anthony. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Now, my understanding is that friendship formed around middle school. Is that right? Middle school, yeah. Well, I'll take that back. I think they actually met in sixth grade. Uh-huh. So right before middle school. And I, I don't, you know, they, he he lived down the street. Um, I, I don't remember them chumming a lot, but they were, you know, chums at school and then started doing some things together. And um, and then it, it grew from there. But, yeah, I'd say in middle school it it flourished and in high school it really flourished and and you'd mentioned earlier Ian spent a, uh, a decent amount of time at anthony's place as they were working on some of their projects and you did have some expectations and limitations and you expected him to to abide by those were there ways that you had to ensure that he was abiding by them well <laughs> so admittedly we were giving a a fair amount of rope there. But so when we found out they were making a website, we then, you know, asked for the website address. Right. <laughs> and said, you know, we'd like to look at this. And um, so they, they somehow, you know, at that time there were tools that started becoming very prevalent on the internet. So you could get a tool to make something, you know, whether it be, you know, a game or something like that. And so they, found tools and they created some video games one of the games they had created uh we thought that maybe girls would find the game offensive and so we sat down you know i called them over and we sat down and i just said hey look at you're you're trying to appeal to a wider audience you might want to you want to mix might want to mix this game up a little bit there were things they were trying and sometimes they weren't you know appropriate yeah yeah Um, so that's kind of what we would do we would go look at their stuff we wouldn't you know we didn't try to have any real editorial input as they were doing something but once they created something we would try to look at it you weren't trying to say oh i think this would be better if you did it this way or that way it was more around just making sure they were staying within you know reasonable lines that you were drawing for them no, and I just didn't, we didn't think it'd be constructive, to be quite honest. They were shooting for a, a fairly young audience, and we thought they were a whole lot closer to that audience than we were. Um, we just were more, you know, make sure it wasn't offensive. For some parents, it's a bit more challenging to to withhold their opinion. It seems like you had a very objective, almost a, a marketing perspective on, you know, whether or not your your input would be valuable or not. Yeah, it, you know, and there was a little... There was a little more input as things went along. So, you know, we tended to learn how things were going by, you know, what they were doing next. So, you know, in the early stages, they had these parody videos. We didn't know at first. They started making merchandise. So um, they started having some T-shirts made with their logo and, uh, you know, coffee mugs, et cetera. And I just thought, you know, it was, you know, they did it for friends. And then all of a sudden, well, uh, you know, we need you to help us. Um, We need to take, you know, all these boxes to the post office. Huh. What are all these boxes? Well, that's the merchandise that we're shipping out to the people that are buying it. It's like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) You know, 
now you're talking a business. We, we don't even have a business. <laughs> so it start it, it tended to go in those types of leaps. You know? Interesting. So I did eventually get involved because that's what I do for a living. So um, I did eventually get involved. I did help them with the business part of it when they started getting you know, requests from people like Logitech who had the ability to pay real money, then, you know, I started providing some input. Were you helping them to set it up as an LLC or something else? Yeah. Yeah. So they, you know, honestly, that was, they they were quite young, you know, 18, 19, 20 at that time. And so um, they just didn't have that background and, uh, and I didn't expect them to. So the deal was you guys handle the content, I'll handle the business part. And then as you grow, you know, you're going to, you're going to outgrow me um, mm-hmm. uh, or, or I'm going to have to change what I do. But, right. <laughs> um, and that's kind of how it's gone. That's neat. As they were first doing this earlier on, what were your thoughts on it? Did it seem like a good thing, a bad thing? Were you indifferent about it? You know, I, I, I thought it was good because, um, you know, it, it was clear that people liked what they were doing. And, and I, you know, I think everybody likes to be liked <laughs> right. um, or, or likes their work product to be liked. So I thought, yeah, you know, I, I thought it was good. And, and I also knew that, that the audience would be the judge. Yeah, there was just a progression of more and more, uh, I'll use the word success, that might not be the right word, but there was just a progression of of making the next level the next level. And, and honestly, we always thought, oh, it'd be over after this. You know? so, <laughs> um, uh, so for instance, when it was going well, and it was taking a lot more of their time, they were going to junior college. So Ian didn't really have a desire to go to a four-year experience, so he didn't really want to go away. Of course, from a financial standpoint, I was happy about that. Anthony came from a family that had less uh, wherewithal, so community college you know, was good for that as well because it didn't take a lot of financial resources. And things were going well. There was a real company, and they were producing revenue, and it was taking more and more of their time. And they came to me and said, you know, we want to, talk to you about dropping out of college. And, you know, that's like, for some of us parents, the worst nightmare. Because I didn't really care if they went to college and became a doctor or went to college and became a history teacher. I just think college is a good thing. I just think it's a good experience. I think it's a, a good way to get some eyes open. So, we were very interested in finishing college. And um, they said, you know, we really... We really like this. It's going well. It's got every, it looks like it can continue to snowball. Um, we want to run with this. And I bit my lip <laughs> and said, all right, you, know, you, you can always go back. I told them it would be incredibly more difficult because they might have families. They, you know, it, it'd be harder. You're young now. It's easier to stay in college. But, but I get it. You know, it, you know, if you have a dream and you have, you know, you have a passion, you, sh- you, you should play it out. And if it doesn't play out, then go do something else. And so I begrudgingly said, okay. And, and they might have dropped out anyway, but they at least asked for my, uh, you know, my input on it. Yeah. I like the way you frame it too, that you can always go back, but it will be harder. I, I think that's a realistic perspective. I, I believe you're right that you can always go back, but it is harder. You know, I was yeah, enlisted man in the military and 
I would say 80% of the people that I knew that signed up for the GI Bill said that I'm going to go to college when I, when I get out. And I'd say maybe more like 10 or 20% of us did. And many of the others that didn't decided they, you know, they first wanted to save up and buy a car or save up for a house or pursue this job opportunity. And it, it, it just gets harder. Yeah. Life gets in the way. It does. <laughs> One thing that Ian and Anthony appear that they had that seems like it was probably a factor in, in your decision to support it was proof of concept. Yeah. I mean, honestly, at that point, they had been at it a little while. So, you know, if you count the high school part, you know, they, it wasn't just a fleeting idea. So it was easier to endorse it. <laughs> yeah. And was that after the Logitech uh, sponsorship? Uh, so it was probably after, you know, the things went pretty fast there, uh, you know, maybe sometime between 19 and 20, things went pretty fast. You know, all of a sudden Time Magazine was at the house and they, they were getting a lot of exposure quick. And so it's hard for me to remember on some of that stuff. I'm sure. Yeah. So prior to the corporate partnerships, how uh, were Ian and Anthony financing this? We never gave them any money for this, <laughs> which, you know, they... Ian, and I don't know about Anthony's household, but Ian, um, our children got allowance. Um, so we we didn't really pay him for chores. We just thought it was a good thing that, you know, that they have some money and we start teaching them to, 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 to spend that money. You know, like, okay, you want some clothes, you have some money, you decide. So we encouraged them to save. So the money was not just so you could go blow it. The money was to save it and then use it for things you needed. So once they started getting more money, then we started shifting some of the responsibility for the things they wanted to them. And then Ian, you know, I think when he worked at Chuck E. Cheese, he was 16. So he, he, he wasn't working a lot, but he had a, a little bit of a job and he, he was saving some money from his job. And so he apparently was using the money, some of the money for him and Anthony to do what they were doing. We absolutely, I, I honestly can't ever remember giving them a dime for it. Huh, that's uh, great. And, and they were able to do it without a lot of money. Uh-huh. So as things started to accelerate, what, what were some of the milestones that stood out to you? So the first inflection point was this professor from an Ivy League school, and I don't remember which one it was, but it was back on the East Coast, sent him a note, you know, a message, I guess, through, you know, email. Um, I think they, they must have had, they must, yeah, their website, through their website, and said, hey, what you guys are doing is, is really fun and interesting, and you really need to get some better camera equipment. And, you know, I just thought, wow, you know, here's, and, and it was a professor, you know, and I forget he was professor of some, you know, uh, film department. Ah, uh, that's cool. Uh, that must've been so encouraging for you to see that now they're reaching and engaging people beyond their circle of friends. Yeah. So that was kind of my first, like, wow, you know, they, they reach out, you know, yeah. this, this, this thing actually has some reach and then they, um, so, and this is before, I want to be clear about this, this is before they were getting paid to do anything. So then they came to me and they said, well, you know, we need money to buy this equipment. We're just going to ask for money. And so we had a discussion about that. You know, what's that? You know, is that ethical? You know, what's the, you know, you're going to ask people just to send you money. And they weren't 
they weren't getting paid to do anything at that point. And so I said, well, I don't know. We'll see if anybody sends you money. And people started, and it was it was very small amounts. I mean, kids would send a penny. Some people would send a nickel. Other people would send a little more. None of it was ever big money, but their mail increased like a hundredfold. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and, and even if it's a small amount, a penny or a nickel, it shows that people are truly interested in the content and want to support it. Yeah. And, and that was kind of the second, you know, like, oh, geez, they, 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 they've hit people from all over. I mean, this money, some money came from overseas. Wow. So they were able to buy some equipment. And, and then, you know, they actually got approached. And I think it was probably Logitech to make a video. And at that point, I said, OK, look, it, if you do this video for Logitech, you have to stop taking money. You have to tell your fans, you have to tell, you have to make an overt statement. You have to, you cannot accept any more money from people. It just doesn't seem right. And I don't know if it was right or wrong, but it just did not seem right. And, and I said, you know, you can't, it's not right if you ask people for money and use that money to make money for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and so they did. So how did the, how did the first partnership proceed with Logitech? Uh, how did they know what to do? Uh, what kind of guidance did you provide to Ian and Anthony? That was kind of a learning experience because they honestly didn't know what to charge Logitech. And so I said, you know, I tried to give them the rope. And so I said, well, what do you think? And they threw out a number that was, you know, for a young person, probably seemed like a lot of money, but it was incredibly low. And I said, you know, I think you need to think about this a little differently. They're, this is Logitech. This is a Fortune 500 company who wants you to do it because they know you have eyes. So if they go produce a commercial on TV, that's for a certain number of eyes, and they pay based upon, essentially, based upon the number of eyes. So you need to set the bar higher. So the bar was set, let's see, about 100 times higher. Wow. <laughs> well, let me see. I can probably do the math. Uh, yeah, that's probably right. Um, and Logitech didn't even blink. <laughs> huh. Huh. So that was kind of the, the next, you know, that, yeah, this really is resonating, that now other people want to latch on to them. So they, by then, you know, so for a while, then they got more, more jobs, honestly, like that, where they were doing, and they were very, they were very nervous about doing um, a promotional video. They didn't really want to sponsor a product. Their idea was, we just want to do stuff about everyday life and make, try to make it goofy and funny. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't really want to be, pardon the expression, a shill. And I said, yeah, but these people are going to give you complete editorial license. That's good. You helped them to stay on brand, but also figure out a way to monetize it. Yeah. And that's, and they, they, I think at that point, they, they definitely had grasped that whole thing that, and maybe some of, some of my friends and I didn't, you know, that you could really monetize this. And, you know, now we have something called influencers, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so probably the next one was they were approached by MTV. And so this is going to be, okay, now actually produce, you know, produce something more than just maybe a three-minute segment. Maybe it's going to be a channel. Maybe it's going to be a series, something. And it was still just them and me, in a sense. In other words, there were no other professionals involved. MTV wanted them to come to L.A. to meet with them. 
And, you know, they're still young. I mean, they might have been 20 or 19. And I said, well, are you guys, you know, comfortable doing that? You know, Anthony honestly had not even really traveled out of town. And so they went down to L.A. on their own to meet with MTV. They walked into the room and there was apparently, you know, a conference table and, you know, four or five suits sitting on the other side of the table. And, you know, probably a creative person, et cetera. And they looked at them and they looked around and then looked back at them and said, where's your people? Oh, isn't that too funny? That's too funny. <laughs> and I just wish I could have been there. <laughs> they said, uh, we, don't, we don't have any people. <laughs> it's just us. <laughs> so when they came back and told me that, I thought, okay, yeah, you, you just crossed another point here. You, you now need people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's nice that you were able to to support them as much as you did. You, you clearly had a, a skill set that uh, a lot of us dads don't have and, and might not have been able to to bring to bear. And uh, to have somebody that they could trust as well is is certainly valuable, I think. Uh, how was that for yeah. you as a, as a father, seeing, uh, seeing all of these inflection points? It's amazing, honestly. I mean, it's... it's uh... I, I think we all want our children to succeed. And if, and if that, you know, they were doing something they really loved and people liked it and they were getting paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, and so that, you know, that was heartwarming for me and it still is. So I have just a few closing questions. First, what are three words that you'd say your wife or your kids would use to describe your parenting style? Inclusive. It's kind of, it might be an overused term, but it's it's kind of unconditional love. Uh-huh. Maybe it's three, but the two biggest things I, I have always told my kids, and I tell them as young adults, there's just a couple things I truly want from you. I want integrity. I want you to have integrity. I want you to not hurt people, and I do not want to pick you up from jail. Mm -hmm. And we had expectations and we just assumed, you know, we treated them like they would fulfill those expectations. So inclusive expectations, accountability, maybe is another way to put mm, that. Yeah. And, and the risk is, honestly, you know, my, my concern all the time was the risk is, is that that just sounds like a totally compliant mindset. And I, I, I didn't want to end up with just compliant people uh, you know yeah. I, want, I wanted i wanted to end up with you know i wanted to bring to add to the world somebody that was compliant but you know creative somebody that could you know add something to the world mm. can you think of a, a particularly difficult time that you had as a father the challenge for me was to um and especially because sharon you know, was home with them and, and it, until they got well into, you know, high school anyway, was to make sure we were on the same page. I never wanted it to be a situation where they were told, wait till your father comes home. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, your mother, you know, you're going to have to answer to your mother for this. I, I wanted it to be uh, a joint path. And so if I had any struggles, it was when I thought we were at cross odds, you know, where, where we had given different messages because I didn't want them, you know, honestly, I mean, kids are clever. I didn't, I didn't want to be played off against each other. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then, you know, we, we all have struggles, right? So I wanted to make sure that they didn't see us in a sense fighting, 
they yeah. didn't see us in battle. Um, and we didn't have many battles, um, thankfully, and we still don't have many battles. Well, uh, thank you very much for your time, Stefan. I really enjoyed talking with you. This has been a, a great conversation. Well, it's been fun talking with you. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Stefan Hecox, a wonderful guy and an excellent father. As mentioned in the introduction, we would greatly appreciate it if you could help sustain the podcast by leaving a rating and even a brief review. It's particularly helpful if you can do this on the Apple Podcast app. You can also help sustain the podcast by telling a friend about it, subscribing, and following us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And feel free to reach out to us directly at info, I-N-F-O, at fatheringexcellence.com. Or use the contact form on our website. Most importantly, remember to spend some time today with your child. It goes by in the blink of an eye.